Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk About It with Shania Kelly, a podcast where every opinion matters. I'm a 20-something master's social worker based in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I bring to you an open and collaborative space where I give voices to the unheard and the unknown on important social topics. So please join me in this space and let's talk about it. So how are we doing today? I hope that everyone is doing well. Quick check-in. I think I'm doing pretty good. I feel like maybe the events are settling in our world. We're kind of, seems like we're moving away from like the tragic of things onto stupid stuff that's going on with celebrities that somehow ends up being important. I don't know. But, um, you know, everything is always an ebb and flow, and I'm sure it'll be a short period of time. Or maybe we just haven't gotten the story about what's going on yet. But either way, things are going pretty okay. And I can also say that I think I'm gaining some confidence when it comes to recording these episodes and using this medium, so it's nice to see that. But besides that, let's get into today's episode. Today we'll be talking about whether we have access to mental health care. Um, And this is just, you know, in general, not specific to America, um, but specific to the world and whether we feel like we have the resources that we need for proper mental health care. I've had some very um, educated other social workers that are coming on the episode, and I'm super excited to bring these conversations to you guys. So because of that, we're going to have a two-part episode for this topic specifically. Part one will be me giving information, as I usually do, and then we'll have some one-on-one interviews. And then part two will actually be a group conversation. It'll be the first group conversation, so I really hope that technology is on our side for everybody included. So let's get into it and let's talk about it. For starters, what is mental health? What does this mean? So by definition, mental health refers to cognitive, behavioral, and emotional well-being. Or in other words, it's about how you think, behave, and feel. Mental health is a huge umbrella term and can mean many of different things to so many people. It has the ability to affect your daily living, relationships, and physical health. And these are factors that affect all of us. So I think it's fair to say that whether we understand it or not, mental health is a part of our lives just as much as physical health is. There are so many factors that can impact our mental health like stress, childhood experiences, family history, violence, discrimination, poverty, loss, abuse, relationships, etc, etc, etc. The list tends to go very long. And even with this, there continues to be this stigma towards mental health and most especially towards mental illness. So what is mental illness? By definition, um, it's a health condition that involves changing the emotion, thinking, and behaviors that have the ability to cause a great amount of distress and disrupts a person's functioning in social, in their work life, and in family activities. So, this sounds like this should be pretty familiar to all of us, but unfortunately, many of us do not have the information and resources that we need to learn about mental health or to help our own mental health. So according to the Mental Health America organization, um, they created a report that sheds light on how many of us are dealing with mental illness in the U.S. So in 2022, there are 664,000 people that are experiencing suicidal ideations or thoughts of killing themselves. And this is a huge number. This is an increased number compared to numbers in the past or of 2021. 2.5 million youth, people who are under the age of 18, are severely depressed and these rates continue to steadily increase as they face more and more stressors that they don't know how to deal with and maybe as parents and family members and friends we don't know how to support others with as well. So as we can see by these statistics, there are a lot of people struggling with mental health and mental illness. 
but because of today's topic, I want to focus more on the statistics of the disconnect between, you know, mental health experiences and mental health care. And these statistics, just to let you guys know, will be more specific to America. So, over half of the adults with mental illness in America do not receive treatment. This totals to 27 million adults in the U.S. who are continuing to go untreated. The percentage of adults with a mental illness who report unmet needs for treatment has increased over the years since 2011. And with this as well, over 60% of youth with major depression do not receive any mental health treatment at all. Nationally, fewer than one in three youth with severe depression receive consistent mental health care. And both adults and the youth in the U.S. continue to lack adequate insurance coverage. So this is a problem. People are experiencing mental health problems and are experiencing mental illness behaviors and symptoms. And they don't have the resources that they need to get help. So I just want to quickly remind us of the statistic that I provided in the beginning on the rate of suicide and suicide ideations. Right now, 664,000 more people than last year are experiencing suicidal ideations or thoughts of killing themselves. These thoughts and feelings and behaviors linked to suicide occur because individuals with mental health problems or mental illnesses do not have the resources to be able to get the help that they need. And as someone who has worked in the field, I have seen this firsthand. I don't want to spend too much talking because I definitely want to make sure that I have time for conversation, but I do want to give some feedback on my thoughts as a social worker working in the mental health field. And more specifically, I worked with individuals who received um, like Medicare and Medicaid. So they're individuals that are low income and may also have a disability. The resources are limited. The resources are not great. When you're dealing with the sector of people who receive uh, state benefits, many people have this perception like, oh, they got it made, you know, they can see whatever doctor they want to see, get whatever treatment they need, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But when it comes to mental health, they might be receiving the bottom of the barrel because they can't afford that um, licensed clinical social worker who has gone through experiences and training and is able to provide them with quality care. They don't have that psychologist with their PhD who has the experience and et cetera, et cetera, to provide quality care. Unfortunately, they're receiving support from people who are burnt out or they have such a high turnover experience that every time that they go in for their session might be a new therapist because they're burnt out, or maybe they might be an intern, so they haven't even had a full education or experience to be able to provide, in my opinion, competent care, because you need the education and you need the skill experience as well to provide those resources and services that are more helpful than they are harmful. When working, you know, in my area, I'm not going to say the specific area, but when working in my area, um, I only used one specific place that I would refer people to for therapy services because I knew they'd get a good psychiatrist for any medication needs and I knew they were going to get a good therapist for any therapeutic needs. Actually, I lied. Two places, right? So in the county that I worked in, there was probably like maybe 10 places or less, maybe like six to 10 mental health care providers, right? Most of them had a waiting list months long, for one. And then on top of that, I really only feel comfortable referring my clients to two. So if there's a situation where your client may have gone there already and maybe they no longer can go there because of whatever reasons they can't return to those services, now you know for a fact that you're going to have to refer your client to a support system that odds are isn't going to give them the proper support. Because we need multiple pots to be able to have one person receive proper support. They need their case manager, which was me. They need their psychiatrist. They need their therapist. They need their social supports, family, friends, you know. They also need support groups. 
So to be able to provide well-rounded support to make sure that someone has well-rounded support, we need to make sure that mental health care is of quality so that my list of 10 people can be 10 people or 10 places to refer a client to instead of maybe like two or three at best. And then on top of that, because I am a social worker and I feel very strongly about this, we really, really need to change mental health care in terms of the people that are being hired and how people are being treated and being mindful of the work that they're doing and paying people for the quality of services that they're providing. Because I'm someone that has experienced burnout as a social worker in that field that I was working with mental health, providing intensive case management resource coordination. And it's hard. And if you don't have the workplace support system or at a workplace support system either, how are we supposed to be able to support others? We can't pour from an empty pot. There was this quote that I came across that I feel very strongly about and I mention it frequently. And how it goes is, We don't have to light ourselves on fire to keep other people warm. And I think that's super strong. And this is coming from someone who is a mental health care provider. We've got to do better. We can't expect people to be in such high stress environments and giving them nothing and expect them to give their all. So we have to fix both sides. We have to make sure that resources are available for people, that people have access to information, that people have a chance for themselves as much as being able to go to others. And we have to make sure that when the people who experience mental illness and mental health challenges, when they finally gain the courage to go and get help, that it's good help. That they don't end up saying, oh, I hate therapy because I already went to this therapist and therapy doesn't work for me. Oh, I hate this medication. I'm not taking medication because blah, 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 blah. Or or not being open to certain practices because of an experience. Because one experience in mental health care will turn a patient or client off from all of the other resources that they could possibly have. Because they took that one chance and that one chance did them a disservice. So... In my opinion, right now, I don't feel like we have proper access to mental health care. And I really hope that we do. And I hope that in this conversation, we can cultivate ways for us to improve our mental health care and for us to make a change. So let's get into our interviews. I'm so excited for who we have today. And I hope that you have the chance to sit through and listen. Let's take a quick moment to listen to the ads that keep this show going, and then we'll get right back into the episode. If you're interested in getting into holistic healing, I invite you to check out my dear friend, Jess Kay's Healings. Jess is a Reiki master, integrated energy therapist, oracle card reader, and a certified hypnotherapist. She's passionate about her work and has a variety of services for you and your family and friends. So check out her information in the show notes. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think that it'd be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. And the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join me and thousands of other podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world using the link in the show notes. And back to the show. And today we have someone who is in the mental health care field, so we're excited to get her perspective on things. So thank you for coming on. If you would like to do a little introduction on yourself. 
Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Shara Ruffin. I am the founder and CEO of Journey to Licensure, which is a holistic wellness company that actually helps students pass their bachelor's, master's in clinical exam. We've passed about over 200 social workers so far in the last year and a half. Amazing. Um, so yeah, that's what I provide. I also provide professional development coaching for social workers. I am a self-made six-figure entrepreneur um, within the last year. So and a five-time Amazon bestseller. So yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> yes, yes, congrats, congrats. <laughs> so that's what I do. Um, and I'm also a former psychotherapist of over 17 years, and I have 20 specializations in mental health. That's amazing. That's definitely an inspiration to me. Um, I just recently graduated mm -hmm. with my MSW and looking to get my license in a couple months. So it's huge to be having this conversation with you to see someone who is as successful in being in the field as you are. So thank you so thank much you. for coming on. <laughs> yeah, definitely comment. Yeah, join our free, or we have a free study group. Definitely feel free to join us. We, it's every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're always there. So if you want to check us out and see how we um, do groups, you can definitely check us out there. Yes, and we'll make sure. So all the information that we're talking about today in terms of the great, amazing services that she has to offer will be available on our blog. So you can find all her details and ways to connect with her on there. So to get this conversation started, what does mental health mean to you as someone working in the field for, for such a period of time? Um, mental health for me is, it, for me, it goes deeper than just professional um, mm -hmm. I am someone that is a big advocate of mental health in the sense that I was brought up in a family where um, you don't talk about mental health, let alone address it, um, which is why I came into the field. So mental health needs to be a holistic perspective of reflecting oneself. Mm -hmm. It's not just the clinical term of what we think, feel, and behave, um, but it's part of taking care of your mind and your body together. Um, I always believe that you can't be without your mind, the mind, the body can't be without the mind, the mind can't be without the body. Um, so to me, they go hand in hand. Um, right. The mind is the most beautiful tool that you have. Taking care of it is essential with your physical body. Um, I have generalized anxiety disorder, PTSD, a learning disorder, um, ADHD combined type. So personally being a clinician, uh, struggling with that stigma myself, Mm -hmm. um, having to come to terms with that in my own mental health journey uh, was a big part of why I do what I do um, in retrospect to my profession. So. Right, right. Thank you. Thank you. I definitely want to um, go back to something that you mentioned um, that, you know, from the community that you come from and your upgrowing, that it has been a difficult conversation to talk about mental health. Um, do you feel like yes. we're coming into a space now where more communities are starting to talk about mental health or is it kind of the same experience? I, I think it's a mixture. I mean, mental health, of course, is talked out a lot more now, but it's still heavily stigmatized in mm -hmm. certain communities, especially the African-American community. The pandemic to me brought on more of exacerbations of the disparities that were happening in various communities that don't have access to care. So no, right. I still think we have a lot of work to do. Right, right. And in your area specifically, or maybe generally the people that you work with, do you feel like people um, have a sense of mental health awareness or are they able to find the information that they might be looking for? Um, not always. I was mm -hmm. one of them. Um, even being a clinician um, and knowing all the ins and outs of healthcare. Uh, from a professional standpoint, I fell on hard times during the pandemic, lost my insurance, and I had to navigate finding a therapist that looked like me. Right. Very, very hard. I, I had lost my insurance and I needed help. I was depressed, uh, couldn't pass my LCSW exam, which is what my company was born from. Mm -hmm. um, that story of struggling with mental health and not getting the support that I need and also come to terms with my own internalized stigma of it. Right. Um, it, it was definitely a process. So speaking as someone that's a clinician, former clinician now, that I don't, I'm not actively practicing therapy at this time. And someone that has personally experienced the barriers to uh, quality healthcare. Um, it's an important issue to talk about at this time, because we still, again, like I said, we have a lot of work to do in terms of access to care and helping mm -hmm. group people be educated about the systems that are in place and also for the providers because part of it is provider 
burnout, uh, capacity yes. fatigue, um, the lack of resources for clinicians to get licensed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very small percentage of LCSWs or LICSWs, um, especially for people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a systemic reason for that. So wanting to talk about those barriers, access to care, partially has to do with making sure our providers get the education and support they need to do their job well, right? Um, and also making sure they get the support they need as well, whether that's clinical support um, and making sure that they are doing what they need to do in order to pour into their clients. Right, right. Thank you so much for sharing your own personal experiences. And you've touched on multiple things that I mentioned um, in my information piece prior to, you know, introducing the, the interview pieces that um, it's definitely difficult to find therapists that look like yourself in the field um, and also making sure that you're meeting with someone of quality as well, um, because that burnout is is so difficult and it's, it's hard for someone receiving services to be trusting and to have positive experiences experiences. And it's so hard for someone who is burnt out to provide all that they would like to provide in terms of their services as well. Um, Aside from, you know, yourself and the kind of services that you provide, do you feel that the majority of mental health uh, services in your area are of quality for people to use? I have a mix. (laughs) I feel like I have mixed feelings about it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I've had to access some of those services for myself as a patient. Um, I do feel that there is more work to be done in terms of the infrastructure that is in place for people that are receiving mental health services. Right. Um, shortage in staff, um, the toxicity of the environment that can happen with, again, provider burnout, because I talk about that a lot because I was on that side. Of the yes. Yep. Um, and in private hospitals that often have systems in place that are not conducive to providers providing quality care. They're worried about money and numbers. Right. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> so that I can talk about personally because I was part of that environment. Um, and it was hard being a provider trying to provide care, quality care to my clients or even having to take my own money, my own paychecks and pour into um, get things that clients needed. If they needed grief counseling, I poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into becoming a certified grief counselor. Mm-hmm. If they needed Sandra play therapy, I would get certified in it so I can bring that to the community, the hospital that I worked in. They did not pay me for that. Right, right. <laughs> nor, nor did they reimburse me for it. It was part of what I thought my own professional training. Um, but giving, again, I feel that it's twofold, giving providers what they need mm-hmm. to be adequate, educated, quality providers to their clients it it starts not from the clients but it starts from the top down right so um making sure that infrastructures are in place for support and care um in order for providers just to get what they need to give support to clients i really talking about it from a provider standpoint i'm really passionate about it because i remember what it was like to have piles of paperwork carpal tunnel ice packs of both hands to my elbows because we constantly were getting impossible paperwork um to have to finish but they weren't willing to hire another therapist right so or you know um staffing restrictions or even funding for um ceus continue education to help providers be better clinicians trauma-informed clinicians um you can't have a population you're dealing with with trauma and their staff isn't formally trained on how to deal with patients that have that need that type of modality of treatment Oh, there's a whole list. Um, <laughs> I, guess, I feel I you. I feel you 100%. <laughs> but no, and in Philadelphia, I live in Philadelphia, so there's a, still a lot of disparities when it comes to care. Um, even though telehealth is more accessible, it's not accessible to everybody. Right. I'm a former military spouse as well. So our veterans don't have accessibility, especially if they live in areas that are rural. Mm-hmm. And even though Pennsylvania has Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, I live in Philly, it's a major city, of course. There are rural areas that people are not still not accessible to care. You have your um, older population that are not technology savvy. Right. You know, yes. how can they receive the care that they need? Um, so, no, it's a whole list. I could go on for days. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, I think that there's still a lot more work to be done. Mm-hmm. I am appreciative that we are talking about it more. But then when I see shootings, right? Right. When I see people still committing suicide, um, we still, that tells me 
we still have more work to do. Right. Very much, very much. So. Not saying we're going to eradicate it, but um, I, you know, I think there needs to be an open communication, also cultural competence. That's another mm-hmm. piece, right? <laughs> um, that's something I could also talk about, making sure our clinicians are culturally sensitive, but they're educated about the population that they're working with. I was right. the only black clinician on staff. Everyone else looked like me. Right. My patients look like me. Right. And I so, remember getting the question where my clients would say, why is there another black therapist? Mm-hmm. And it, they weren't saying anything against, you know, their, my white counterparts. It was just that when you have a, a mid-age schizophrenic gentleman um, who's black looking for someone that looks like them to talk about issues that only, you know, they could relate to, that's a clinical issue. Right. You know, so. Okay, I'm gonna pause. I know I kind of went for a tangent. No, no, that was that was great. Thank you, thank you. I was going to just resonate with that. So I'm from the Lehigh Valley, um, and I was a mental health case manager. Um, and we've had the same kind of experiences here, where um, there is many of uh, resource gaps, and a lot of those limitations are, you know, funding and making sure that things are of quality. So for myself, I worked with um, people who were on medical assistance or Medicare, and there were major roadblocks to making sure that they were receiving proper quality care. And when you speak of having those um, certifications and going to trainings to be able to have informed services, they wouldn't have access to those kinds of uh, therapists and clinicians. So it's like, what do we do when we're providing when we're trying to connect people to resources and those resources aren't accessible for them. And then to think about the people who maybe be able to pay the dollar to have their, um, their services, they might still not have access to those proper resources too. So, you know, from your perspective as a provider and someone who has navigated mental health services, maybe what is some advice that you can provide to someone who is ready to start seeking services and um, are looking out there for proper services? I would say the first part is definitely education. I mean, if it's Mm -hmm. Medicaid or Medicare, um, having to navigate those, it's one thing for me as a clinician uh, to be able to navigate and still be hard. It's another thing for someone that doesn't have the education or even maybe um, the emotional or the capacity to do right, so yes. on their own. Um, so it's, I think one, making sure that these, the resources are visible and accessible and that the processes are streamlined. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when it comes to looking for mental health, um, I used to tell, I used to tell my clients, look at the back of your card, behavioral, even other colleagues, they don't even know this. Look at the back of your card. Um, your behavioral health line is there. That Call that number and that should link your church to be able to tell you what therapist they are paneled to. They should mm-hmm. be able to give you a list. A lot of my colleagues and even um, some of my former clients, they were just at a loss of how to navigate that. What's in my area? What can I use? Right. Um, so I usually tell them, call your behavioral health line before you go on Facebook, before you <laughs> look up all these other things. And that's another thing. Social media is, <laughs> it's a sea of very tricky, very tricky. <laughs> and, and therapists always have to be walk a fine line, um, between mm-hmm. what they put out there, their personal life and whatnot. Um, there's always a red tape when it comes to practice, but you, for anyone that's looking for mental health start with your insurance. And if you don't have insurance, then the next thing I'm going to ask you is to look for your state welfare office Mm -hmm. um, to start the application process with your case worker. And I even found the the process of getting insurance in the state very complicated. It's it's overwhelming. Very hard. Yes. Yes. Um, luckily, I was able to do it online instead of the paper form. But how many people don't have access to the internet? Right. How many people may not be able to read or write or comprehend? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I there's a lot of, and I know it's beyond my power. All I can do is kind of talk about my experiences from what I, I've seen. Um, right. But state welfare office for um, looking for Medicaid or Medicare, linking to your community resources, and asking those tough questions. Right. It's hard. One, it's hard for somebody to admit they have, they need help. Mm -hmm. I was also one of those. 
and mind you, I've been a therapist for years. And I knew at some point I needed to get help or I wasn't going to be able to, to get to where I needed to go. Right. Um, I knew I had got on medication for the first time in my life two years ago. Never been on medication before that. Mm-hmm. Most people are like, what? You're a clinician, but also I'm human, right? Right. Yes, I have yes. feelings. I have stigma, you know. Um, so again, it, you have to get to a point where you want to receive help. Mm-hmm. Um, ask, knowing the infrastructure, you know, first is first acknowledging that you need help yourself and then looking for what's in your community to receive help, whether that's a case manager, whether that's your state um, social welfare office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really having people get linked to services, but making sure those services are not on a complicated state uh, uh, page where it can be overwhelming to look at. Yeah. Um, but it also depends on where you are. If you're in a rural area, it's usually more accessible in a city that you can find resources than it would be in a rural area. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's so many disparities. Um, there are times where it's overwhelming to think about, but I would say the first step, no matter before even tapping the resources has to start with you, acknowledging that you need help um, and acknowledging that it's okay. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for for sharing that. I hope that anyone who's listening that, you know, may be in the beginning of their journey of figuring out what mental health means to them, or if they know someone who's in the beginning of that journey can use that advice, because I definitely think that is very helpful and sound advice. So for um, us social workers or people who aren't social workers that want to advocate for change, you've mentioned several different things that we can do, um, but just like maybe like simple, like first steps to advocating, what can we do to improve the mental health care that we're experiencing in our areas? Um, the best way to advocate is to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> it's advocating for your own self-care, advocating for your own mental health and what you feel that you need. Mm-hmm. The only one that knows yourself um is you right um so you know what you need of course within reason of getting clinical support right um but yeah that would be the first thing I would say because that's kind of still a broad question yeah (laughs) (laughs) I would say advocating for yourself um and what you need to get you know would be the first step um whether that's through your state legislator's office um you know through it, you know, there's technology, right? So social media, um, there are big influencers out there or become one yourself. Right, right. You know, um, that's something that I had to learn how to do is use social media to increase awareness around mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you're someone that's more of an introvert, um, you can advocate on a micro level, starting with your family, having the conversation around mental health and its implications. Um, there's so many. Uh, my mind is just running. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was but, great. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I have a seven-year-old in the background. Nope, nope, nope. You're, you're fine. <laughs> I haven't heard anything. <laughs> you're totally fine. Thank you so much. And um, those were the majority of the questions I have. You explained everything just so well and so perfectly. Um, so if you would like to describe, I guess, some of your services just in a little bit more depth so we can understand what you bring to the mental health care field. Sure. Um, so for the last year and a half, I've been focusing on helping social workers pass their board exams from more of a holistic space because I'm a clinician and someone that struggled with mental health conditions that was a barrier to licensing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to build something that was going to support um, social workers in a different way. There are many different wonderful programs out there uh, that are more automated in nature. But one of the one of the red flags that I saw a lot with a lot of clients that came to me of being frustrated, spending so much money on different types of automated programs, um, such as TDC or Agency of Change and all of those great programs okay. for the right person that has a certain type of learning style. Right, right. If you're not somebody that can follow an automated program, if you're someone that really has neurological comprehension issues, dyslexia, TBIs, um, I've had different clients. One dot client I had was deaf, um, 
those type of programs won't work for them. Right. So exactly. I try to figure out well, where, where could I fill the gap in? Um, so I formulated two programs, a group coaching program where clients could get the support they need in terms of um, either one-to-one support access, or they can get um, practice exams in a systematic way. I would break down all of their testing material and I can follow them along through the process. So unlike most boot camps that are a couple of days, mine is two months, eight weeks. Nice. Okay. You meet with me once a week. <laughs> you meet with me <laughs> once a week for about two hours. You have your own individual study plan. You get one practice exam. I give you recommendations for others. Um, you get study tools such as an audio course, study guide, DSM five case studies, bachelor's, master's clinical. I don't care if you're not clinical yet, you need to know the DSM five. So I teach right. you that through case studies. Um, you do get a self-care plan is needed for people that need more support and navigate, help them navigate the ASWB accommodations. Mm-hmm. That was something I had to do. A lot of us who have reading, um, disabilities or neurological don't know that you can get ASWB accommodations. And because I had to fight for my accommodations, I now am a big advocate for helping social workers navigate how to get theirs. Um, for me, that was getting my extra hour in my own room, which I was able to get. Most people okay. don't know yet you can do that within reason of having an official diagnosis. Um, with individual coaching, it's more accountability, being your on-call coach. A lot of clients that I've had have built up fear around the exam. Some of it mm-hmm. is um, a lot of looking at other people's licensing journey and yes. then looking at their own. So mm-hmm. I always say that comparison kills motivation very quickly. Your journey is your journey their journey is theirs. Right. If I think if I would have kept measuring my journey against a girlfriend of mine who actually passed her exam three weeks after I fell my LC the first time, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Right. And I coached her for a month during my own exam process and I felt she passed. Now, if I would stay in that mindset, I probably, again, wouldn't have my LCFW now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's helping social workers see that it's a test, that it's book knowledge, not your professional experience. Um, and it's making the process more simpler to just say, hey, here are the questions, go practice. For some people, they need a structured process. It's a lot of content. Yes. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what level of exam. So learning how to break it down, break down those reasoning, recall and application questions, learning how to breathe, right? Um, learning how to, if you have testing anxiety, use adaptive coping skills, learn to work through your mindset. On my exam, the first time, I didn't know I was two points away. I changed 40 answers on it. Ah, uh, okay. So I went in there with a the mindset of, uh, I'm just going to take them. Probably going to fail anyway. That mindset <laughs> sabotaged my whole testing process. Mm-hmm. Which she's, the proctor said, um, you missed it by two points. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and it kept me in purgatory for a whole year before I was able to take it again. A lot of my clients have a built up fear around testing some of them have busy lifestyles i had one client who had six kids uh, wanted to get his master level licensure but he didn't have an accountability partner and you need mm-hmm. somebody to push him right. and I'm, I'm kind of a no uh you're going to get this work done if you sign up with me like we're going to get this done i'm going to push you i'm going to make you uncomfortable mm-hmm. in terms of if you need to change your study plan this is another thing that people face they may have a study schedule that's not conducive to their study process if you're a morning person and you're not studying in the morning, you're studying at nighttime, your brain doesn't retain information. So why study at night? Right. If you are an evening person studying in the evening, but if, again, it's knowing and prioritizing your study time, but also making sure you're taking care of yourself in the process leading up to the exam. It's about what you do with your mind and leading up to the exam, leading up to the exam day. Mm-hmm. Um, that matters most to me in your preparation. So I'm usually taking having people take four to five exams every two weeks and doing a practice exam. Um, so I can see what their weak areas and strength areas are. So there's a whole uh, structured process. So far, it's worked for over 200 social workers so far. Oh, amazing. Uh, <laughs> and individual and group. So I must be doing something right. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And now we just added, we just announced that in our clubhouse group, a uh, professional development program. So all those exaggerated letters you said behind my name <laughs> um, are definitely, when it comes to clinicians of color, it does mean something. A lot of our white counterparts have them. 
a lot of us do not because we don't either don't know about them Mm -hmm. or we think that they're what's the point of having them there are reasons for having them national credential especially at the bachelor's master's and clinical level gives you more clout in terms of salary negotiation yes mm-hmm. helps in terms of the competition um so helping social workers if they want to go into their own online coaching business and building it branding visibility learning how to build your own community learning how to leverage learn if you want to go into writing a book how do you do that what resources do i need um over the last couple of years, I've been able to meet some amazing people that have helped mold me. But mm-hmm. now I want to be able to help my social workers see that there is a life behind your license. Yes, You do not have to just be a case manager. You do not have to just be a therapist. That you can, you do have other transferable skills that you can use. I've been able to see, and it's not about money. The money is a byproduct of the passion of the people right. you help. Yes. Um, but the thing is, we do need money to survive. However, w- when I realized what was happening to my bank account, I was like, I'm not going back. Nope. Uh, <laughs> uh, but if, if that it's a, a byproduct of my hard work of constantly pushing myself, of constantly staying the course, even when I wanted to give up. It took over a decade to get to that point. But I want to teach social workers how to do what I'm doing and cut your time in half. A lot of us don't have that type of mentorship, that type of support. And that's what I'm going to be providing beyond just getting licensed. So that's, yeah, that's a whole nother community I've been able to build. And that just launched today. Oh, congratulations. And I appreciate you for bringing this service and resource because as someone who is, you know, looking to obtain their license, having that support is very important. Um, And just from the perspective of recently graduating from school, you know, they don't really talk about the kind of resources that are available. And the most important thing that you said is there's more than being a case manager and there's more than being just a therapist as well. And I don't want to say just a therapist to downplay therapy. Therapy is the most important no. thing. <laughs> but when it comes to the field of social work, it's kind of like those are the only two options that you're really told about. Or child welfare, right? Yes. And for yeah. me, that was very hard for me to cope with. I was just like, I don't know if I'm okay with only these options because I feel like social work is supposed to be able to allow you to do so many different things and to touch so many people in so many ways. So why are we only being taught these three options? So I really appreciate you for shining some light on that. And that kind of, you know, validates my feelings too. And I'm sure other social workers as well that might listen to this, that there are other options and things that you can do out there and maybe just text, you know, finding that right person. And I hope that people are writing down your information because I know I'm going to be, so (laughs) I'll be in touch with you soon. But also if I could say one more thing about that is getting out of that, that broke social work mindset. Um. (laughs) <laughs> a year about last July no last May I met someone named Ari he's one of my publisher um a good coach mindset coach of mine I remember when I was doing coaching for free and there was nothing wrong with what he said what I was doing I was giving to my community but he's like you're so broke honey what's, what's happening here what are you doing <laughs> and I was like I'm just helping my community he was like um let's have a come to Jesus talk it really came from how I thought about money, what I was taught about money and what I was taught about not valuing myself when it came to money in my field. Mm-hmm. We are not taught how to be business savvy. We are not taught how to um, monetize. We're not taught how to build our skill sets to be able to monetize. Right. We are not taught how to brand. There's so many things we're not taught. But, and these are things that I painfully had to learn. And when I switched that mindset from free to not wrong with free, but giving value, giving value and then getting paid. I made my first $10,000 in July within a couple of weeks in a month. That's amazing. Yeah. So I I want you really, I'm pouring into her right now, (laughs) Miss Kelly, but for all (laughs) of you guys out there listening to this, I really want you to think about looking beyond your license there is a reason why you can't a profession nothing wrong with helping people but you got to get your money money bags okay so yes. it's okay it is okay to want to get what your value society is going to tell you your value your value is this paycheck you got to think of yourself as valuing yourself beyond that i, I look back and laugh at my 1400 dollars i used to get every two weeks at my old <laughs> private house about a couple years ago but <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, it's about 
having people that are going to hold you accountable to your dream because sometimes we're afraid to walk the path that we know we need to walk but sometimes it takes someone holding the space for us while we take those steps right and to even tie that just back to you know our original beginning conversations i think that the more that we pour into ourselves as professionals in this field we're able to provide better quality services and care and to mm-hmm. be able to uphold the fact that we want to make sure that when people are looking for care they don't receive a, a bad experience or a bad response where they no longer want to uh, pursue trying to find that kind of help so i think advocating for ourselves to make sure that we have the proper education that we give ourselves that opportunity to reach the points that we want to get to, then that's where we'll be able to have, you know, better quality care at better locations because we're pouring into our employees or pouring into the staff, we're pouring, pouring into the service providers and they're able to give back into the community in a better way. I do feel that right now, if someone does experience a, a negative a resource, it's probably because of burnout and people not being paid what they're worth and people not having mm-hmm. the extra education that they need to provide those proper services and resources. I feel like it's it's really hard to find um, really, really good quality care when you're getting closer to the lower income populations. So um, oh, yeah. let's tie that all back around. <laughs> I think that was so well explained. <laughs> No problem. I, I feel like my journey now is a blueprint for other people behind yes. me because I would have never imagined that I would have been able to do what I'm doing and getting paid what I'm getting paid. And again, it's not about money, but we need money. It's not a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's one that often social workers avoid. I'm just yes. going to do this because <laughs> that's what I've been taught to do. I'm not, <laughs> we're not in it for the money. Um, excuse me. I got <laughs> student loans and bills. <laughs> no, there's nothing. Psychologists, other disciplines do it all the time. Right. Why do we need to be any different? Right, right. Right. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, as social workers, we receive um, such a nice perspective when it comes to education with helping people that we should be able to provide and have the same amount of respect when it comes to people looking for services. Because I know for myself in the field, um, there was a moment where one of my clients lost one of their um, like psychology majored um, therapists and she was referred to someone who had their LCSW and she saw it as less. And that hurt me because I was like, that's not less. You're receiving a great opportunity. You're going to be able to work with someone who's going to look at you from the person environment um, um, person environment perspective and all of these amazing great things. So I feel like the more we're able to credential ourselves, hopefully the more people will take us seriously in the field as therapists and that will help with everything else that we already talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> oh, it, yeah. I get, we get those conversations <laughs> all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so, sorry, I'm gonna move this. It's my future social worker. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> but yeah, he's, He's just being nosy. He's always like, mommy, I'm going to be a social worker. And I said, we need more y'all. So, right. Yes. <laughs> but yes. <yeah. laughs> but I, I really appreciate this conversation and I appreciate you bringing me on and just being able to talk about the things that I've experienced. And I want other social workers to experience um, new graduates, especially because me and my um, business partner, Courtney, who built six figure practices, mm-hmm. um, we didn't have that opportunity. We had to fight for it and we had to right. fight for it. And I appreciate and we had to for, create our own. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. I appreciate you for going through, I'm sure, a very difficult journey to be able to get to where you're at and to provide these services so that people like me and other people that are just looking for mental health services as well are able to, you know, make sure that they have some of that cares. And based off of how you're explaining things, we know that you care. And I hope that they know that other mental health care, care providers care too, even if maybe they're facing challenges where they can't provide the quality of services that they would like to. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you just brought up another good talking point. Um, I remember sometimes being in a hospital and looking out the window and thinking, is this all of I'm going to be? Right. Burnt out, tired, can't reach the people that I want to. But one of the things I had to remember is, uh, as I was going along in my journey, is that um, our experiences are what we make them to be. Mm-hmm. That if you don't like where you are, 
create your own door. Right. If there's not one already presented to you. And I'm not saying leave your job today and tomorrow, of course, but start planning what you want it to look like. Um, after a while, I was getting burned out in my job. So I started um, investing some of my money into certifications and credentials. Mm-hmm. Um, I to pour back into my client to start building my, my clinical skills. So by the time I left that job, I came out with several certifications, effective modality um, skills that I work with a certain type of population could say mm-hmm. I did and negotiate more money if I wanted to. Yep. I turn mm-hmm. out jobs all the time. Um, and blessed that I can do that now. So I said, no, thank you. Mm-mm, I don't need this. <laughs> no jobs. I'm good. I'm blessed to say that now, but there was a point in my life several times with having children now that I could not do that. Right. So you also, what I want to say to providers is embrace the hard, mm-hmm. embrace the hard road. Um, embrace the not easy one, the one that people won't take, because oftentimes that will lead you to a place that people often don't get to. Right. Thank you. So well said. (laughs) Thank you so, so much. (laughs) Is there anything else that comes to mind that you would like to share about um, the, the challenges of accessing mental health care in our areas? Um, I guess I felt like I talked out. <laughs> <laughs> if so, that's okay. That everything was so amazing. <laughs> I got nothing else. Um, I think I've been pretty much said everything. I'm just like, is there anything else? I don't think so. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay. It, it's a broad, it's a very broad topic. Right. So, yes. Um, I mostly was just speaking from my experience mm-hmm. of what I felt as a professional, um, and someone that's been a patient would need to or want to hear right right and i just want to reiterate that all the information about the great and amazing services that she's talking about today will be found in the blog and will be shared um, amongst all of my social media platforms so if anything is ringing a bell it'll be in the description as well so please get connected i know i will be looking for your information and i will be reaching out to you soon because it sounds like something that i need for myself as well um so thank you for advocating for yourself as a social worker, as someone who has experienced mental health challenges and being a, an inspiration for so many people. Thank you, Ms. Kelly. I appreciate being on this call. Yes, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and look forward <laughs> to an you. email from me. <laughs> Will do, no problem. Thank you. I appreciate your time and I appreciate the conversation. It was definitely one that needed to be had. Yes, yes, of course, of course. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. I am looking for fellow podcasters and community members to collaborate with me on episodes for this podcast. So if you're interested in coming on and talking about any of the various social topics that come to mind, please fill out the request form in the description. And if you haven't already, please connect with me on my social media platforms on my link tree. There is also a link for a voice message to leave your thoughts and feelings. And they might even get aired on an episode, so don't hold back. (laughs) Thank you again for talking with me. Bye!